Chapter 20 of Toby Tyler for Ten Weeks with a Circus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by James O'Connor. Toby Tyler for Ten Weeks with a Circus by James Otis. Chapter 20 Home and Uncle Daniel. Meanwhile, the author of all this misery had come upon the scene. He was a young man whose rifle and well-filled game-bag showed that he had been hunting, and his face expressed the liveliest sorrow for what he had so unwittingly done. "'I didn't know I was firing at your pet,' he said to Toby, as he laid his hand on his shoulder and endeavored to make him look up. I only saw a little patch of fur through the trees, and thinking it was some wild animal, I fired. Forgive me, won't you, and let me put the poor brute out of his misery. Toby looked up fiercely at the murderer of his pet and asked savagely, Why don't you go away? Don't you see that you have killed Mr. Stubbs, and you'll be hung for murder? I wouldn't have done it under any circumstances, said the young man pitying Toby's grief most sincerely. Come away, and let me put the poor thing out of its agony. How can you do it? asked Toby bitterly. He's dying already. I know it, and it will be a kindness to put a bullet through his head. If Toby had been big enough, perhaps, there might really have been a murder committed, for he looked up at the man who so coolly proposed to kill the poor monkey after he had already received his death wound that the young man stepped back quickly, as if really afraid that in his desperation the boy might do him some injury. Go away off, said Toby passionately, and don't ever come here again. You've killed all I ever had in this world of my own to love me, and I hate you, I hate you. Then turning again to the monkey, he put his hands on each side of his head, and leaning down, kissed the little brown lips as tenderly as a mother would kiss her child. The monkey was growing more and more feeble, and when Toby had shown this act of affection, he reached up his tiny paws, grasped Toby's finger, half raised himself from the ground, and then with a convulsive struggle fell back dead, while the tiny fingers slowly relaxed their hold of the boy's hand. Toby feared that it was death, and yet hoped that he was mistaken. He looked into the half-open, fast-glazing eyes, put his hand over his heart to learn if it were still beating, and getting no responsive look from the dead eyes, feeling no heart-throbs from under that gory breast, he knew that his pet was really dead, and flung himself by his side in all the childish abandonment of grief. He called the monkey by name, implored him to look at him, and finally bewailed that he had ever left the circus, where at least his pet's life was safe, even if his own back received its daily flogging. The young man who stood a silent spectator of this painful scene understood everything from Toby's mourning. He knew that a boy had run away from the circus, the Messrs. Lord and Castle had stayed behind one day in the hope of capturing the fugitive, 
and they had told their own version of Toby's flight. For nearly an hour, Toby lay by the dead monkey's side, crying as if his heart would break, and the young man waited until his grief should have somewhat exhausted itself, and then approached the boy again. Won't you believe that I didn't mean to do this cruel thing, he asked in a kindly voice, and won't you believe that I would do anything in my power to bring your pet back to life? Toby looked at him a moment earnestly, and then said slowly, Yes, I'll try to. Now will you come with me and let me talk to you, for I know who you are and why you are here. How do you know that? Two men stayed behind after the circus had left, and they hunted everywhere for you. I wish they had caught me, moaned Toby. I wish they had caught me, but then Mr. Stubbs wouldn't be here dead. And Toby's grief broke out afresh as he again looked at the poor little stiff form that had been a source of so much comfort and joy to him. Try not to think of that now, but think of yourself and of what you will do, said the man, soothingly, anxious to divert Toby's mind from the monkey's death as much as possible. I don't want to think of myself, and I don't care what I'll do, sobbed the boy passionately. But you must. You can't stay here always, and I will try to help you to get home, or wherever it is you want to go, if you will tell me all about it. It was some time before Toby could be persuaded to speak or think of anything but the death of his pet. But the young man finally succeeded in drawing his story from him and then tried to induce him to leave that place and accompany him to the town. I can't leave Mr. Stubbs, said the boy firmly. He never left me the night I got thrown out of the wagon and he thought I was hurt. Then came another struggle to induce him to bury his pet, and finally Toby, after realizing the fact that he could not carry a dead monkey anywhere with him, agreed to it, but he would not allow the young man to help him in any way, or even to touch the monkey's body. He dug a grave under a little fir tree nearby and lined it with wild flowers and leaves, and even then hesitated to cover the body with the earth. At last he bethought himself of the fanciful costume which the skeleton and his wife had given him, and in this he carefully wrapped his dead pet. He had not one regret at leaving the bespangled suit, for it was the best he could command, and surely nothing could be too good for Mr. Stubbs. Tenderly he laid him in the little grave, and covering the body with flowers, said, pausing a moment before he covered it over with earth, and while his voice was choked with emotion. Goodbye, Mr. Stubbs. Goodbye. I wish it had been me instead of you that died, for I'm an awful sorry little boy now that you're dead. Even after the grave had been filled and a little mound made over it, the young man had the greatest difficulty to persuade Toby to go with him and when the boy did consent to go at last, he walked very slowly away, and kept turning his head to look back, just so long as the little grave could be seen. Then when the tree shut it completely out from sight, 
The tears commenced again to roll down Toby's cheeks, and he sobbed out, I wish I hadn't left him. Oh, why didn't I make him lie down by me? And then he'd be alive now. And how glad he'd be to know that we was getting out of the woods at last. But the man who had caused Toby this sorrow talked to him about other matters, thus taking his mind from the monkey's death as much as possible. And by the time the boy reached the village, he had told his story exactly as it was, without casting any reproaches on Mr. Lord, and giving himself the full share of censure for leaving his home as he did. Mr. Lord and Mr. Castle had remained in the town but one day, for they were told that a boy had taken the night train that passed through the town about two hours after Toby had escaped, and they had set off at once to act on that information. Therefore Toby need have no fears of meeting either of them just then and he could start on his homeward journey in peace. The young man who had caused the monkey's death tried first to persuade Toby to remain a day or two with him, and failing in that, he did all he could toward getting the boy home as quickly and safely as possible. He insisted on paying for his ticket on the steamboat, although Toby did all he could to prevent him, and he even accompanied Toby to the next town where he was to take the steamer. He had not only paid for Toby's ticket, but he had paid for a stateroom for him, and when the boy said that he could sleep anywhere and that there was no need of such expense, the man replied, Those men who were hunting for you have gone down the river and will be very likely to search the boat when they discover that they started on the wrong scent. They will never suspect that you have got a stateroom, and if you are careful to remain in it during the trip, you will get through safely. Then, when the time came for the steamer to start, the young man said to Toby, Now, my boy, you won't feel hard at me for shooting the monkey, will you? I would have done anything to have brought him to life, but as I could not do that, helping you to get home was the next best thing I could do. I know you didn't mean to shoot, Mr. Stubbs, said Toby, with moistening eyes as he spoke of his pet, and I'm sorry I said what I did to you in the woods. Before there was time to say any more, the warning whistle was sounded. The plank pulled in, the great wheels commenced to revolve, and Toby was really on his way to Uncle Daniel and Guilford. It was then but five o'clock in the afternoon, and he could not expect to reach home until two or three o'clock in the afternoon of the next day. But he was in a tremor of excitement as he thought that he should walk through the streets of Guilford once more, see all the boys, and go home to Uncle Daniel. And yet, whenever he thought of that home, of meeting those boys, of going once more to all those old familiar places, the memory of all that he had planned when he should take the monkey with him would come into his mind and damp even his joy, great as it was. That night he had considerable difficulty in falling asleep, but did finally succeed in doing so, and when he awoke the steamer was going up the river, whose waters seemed like an old friend, because they had flowed right down past Guilford on their way to the sea.
At each town where a landing was made, Toby looked eagerly out on the pier, thinking that by chance someone from his home might be there, and he would see a familiar face again. But all this time he heeded the advice given him and remained in his room, where he could see and not be seen. And it was well for him that he did so, for at one of the landings he saw both Mr. Lord and Mr. Castle come on board the boat. Toby's heart beat fast and furious, and he expected every moment to hear them at the door demanding admittance, for it seemed to him that they must know exactly where he was secreted. But no such misfortune occurred. The men had evidently only boarded the boat to search for the boy, for they landed again before the steamer started and Toby had the satisfaction of seeing their backs as they walked away from the pier. It was some time before he recovered from the fright which the sight of them gave him, but when he did his thoughts and hopes far outstripped the steamer, which it seemed was going so slowly, and he longed to see Guilford with an impatience that could hardly be restrained. At last he could see the spire of the little church on the hill, and when the steamer rounded the point, affording a full view of the town, and sounded her whistle as a signal for those on the shore to come to the pier, Toby could hardly restrain himself from jumping up and down and shouting in his delight. He was at the gangplank ready to land fully five minutes before the steamer was anywhere near the wharf and when he recognized the first face on the pier, what a happy boy he was. He was at home. The dream of the past ten weeks was at length realized, and neither Mr. Lord nor Mr. Castle had any terrors for him now. He ran down the gangplank before it was ready, and clasped every boy he saw there round the neck, and would have kissed them if they had shown an inclination to let him do so. Of course he was overwhelmed with questions, but before he would answer any, he asked for Uncle Daniel and the others at home. Some of the boys ventured to predict that Toby would get a jolly good whipping for running away, and the only reply which the happy Toby made to that was, I hope I will, and then I'll feel as if I had kind of paid for running away. If Uncle Daniel will only let me stay with him again, he may whip me every morning and I won't open my mouth to holler. The boys were impatient to hear the story of Toby's travels, but he refused to tell it them, saying, I'll go home, and if Uncle Dan'l forgives me for being so wicked, I'll sit down this afternoon and tell you all you want to know about the circus. Then, far more rapidly than he had run away from it, Toby ran toward the home which he had called his, ever since he could remember, and his heart was full almost to bursting as he thought that perhaps he would be told that he had forfeited all claim to it and that he could never more call it home again. When he entered the old familiar sitting-room, Uncle Daniel was seated near the window alone, looking out wistfully, as Toby thought, across the fields of yellow waving grain. Toby crept softly in, and going up to the old man, knelt down and said, very humbly, and with his whole soul in the words, 
Oh, Uncle Dan'l, if you'll only forgive me for being so wicked and running away, and let me stay here again, for it's all the home I ever had. I'll do everything you tell me to, and never whisper in meetin' or do anything bad. And then he waited for the words which would seal his fate. They were not long in coming. My poor boy, said Uncle Daniel, softly as he stroked Toby's refractory red hair. My love for you was greater than I knew, and when you left me, I cried aloud to the Lord as if it had been my own flesh and blood that had gone afar from me. Stay here, Toby, my son, and help to support this poor old body as it goes down into the dark valley of the shadow of death. And then, in the bright light of that glorious future, Uncle Daniel will wait to go with you into the presence of him who is ever a father to the fatherless. And in Uncle Daniel's kindly care, we may safely leave Toby Tyler. End of chapter 20 Recording by James O'Connor Randolph, Massachusetts September 2010 End of Toby Tyler or Ten Weeks with a Circus by James Otis